Tonight's second reading is from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 23, and you can find that on page 1182 of the QV Bible. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks to be God, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery and purity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were freed from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from things you are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's, let's ask for God's help as we come to his word, as we look at this passage, Romans chapter 6. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word tonight, that we would understand how it applies to our lives, that we would seek to live it out, and that because of who you have made us in Christ, 
that we would say no to sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the most unique part of Christianity? Out of all the other religions, what's the most unique thing about Christianity? It's this, that while every other religion says what you need to do to get to God, Christianity says what has been done by Christ. And that is called grace. And grace, we see in Romans, as we've been preaching through Romans, grace is endless. And it is a joy, it is a relief, because it doesn't matter what we have done, and it doesn't matter what we will ever do. God's grace forgives. But this truth comes with a common question. If God's grace is never-ending, if God's grace is completely free, then what does it matter what we do? Obeying God's law doesn't save us. Jesus Christ saves us, and that is it. So who cares if we speed as long as there isn't a speed camera? If God's grace is sufficient, surely in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter to God what we do, does it? Sometimes it's easy to resign ourselves to sin because, after all, we're sinners, saved by grace. Or maybe you've done what I've done before when I'm tempted to sin, and I think it'd be easier just to give in now and ask sorry later. Wouldn't it be easier? Or, or the girl I went to uni with who said that she might as well sleep with her boyfriend before marriage because God will forgive me anyway. Or Rasputin, that Russian mystic, who believed the more he sinned, the more he knew grace, the better a Christian he was. But do you see the logic? If God's grace is infinite, and you and I can never do anything so bad that God won't forgive us when we ask for it, why not just sin? Why not take advantage of grace? After all, it is unending. This isn't an original idea. Uh, you may have asked this question, as I have, but Paul, he understands this question in Romans chapter 6, and he answers this question for us. So if you're sitting here, and you struggle with sin at times, if you find it hard to not just give in, or if you don't see a need to fight sin, or you excuse sin away, then you need to listen to Paul's answer in Romans chapter 6 because Paul's answer is really simple. There has been a supernatural change in your life when you trusted in Christ so that you have gone from being dead in sin to being free in Christ in verse 1 to 14 and you've gone from being a slave to sin to a slave to God in verse 15 to 23. Paul says... We are God's free slaves. So live differently. So the first question, verse 1, let's read it. What does it say? It says, what shall we say then? Uh, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because grace will increase and God will be seen as even more gracious. And Paul says, don't even consider it. Why? Well, first thing, what, what doesn't Paul say? Okay, so 
Paul doesn't say it's because if we keep on sinning, God will reject us. He doesn't say that don't keep on sinning because there's a limit to God's grace. And he doesn't say stop sinning so you can stay saved. No. Paul says no because we are dead to sin. That's what verse 2 says. Look at it with me. By no means... We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Did you know that? If you have trusted in Christ, you have died to sin. You are free from the terrible reign of sin. How? Well, two of Paul's favorite words, in Christ. That's how, that's what it says in verse 3 to 10. You've been baptized into Christ, if you see verse 3 there. You've been united with Christ in verse 5. And we've been crucified with him in verse 6. So when baptism was seen as something done simultaneously to faith in Christ, Paul uses it here in verse 3 as a metaphor for being united to Christ when we come to him in faith. It's like if Christ was a plane, right, so if Christ was the plane, then when we trusted in Christ, then we entered into that plane. So what happens to the plane happens to us. If the plane crashes, we crash. If the plane flies, we fly. And where the plane is going, we go. And so in Christ, what's happened to him happens to us. He, when he hung on that cross, we hung on that cross. He died, we died. He was buried, we were buried. And he was raised to live a new life for God and we were raised to live a new life for God. But even more than that, our future is also guaranteed in verse 5. He says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And so sin is done away with because of Jesus. We have escaped sin, not by our death, but by Christ's death. Our past, Paul says, is death to the power of sin. Our present is a new life in Christ. And our future is a resurrection like Jesus. Another way to think about it is like some matches in the AFL. I'm not a massive AFL fan, but I barrack for Richmond with loyalty. You have to barrack with Richmond with loyalty, otherwise you don't bother. But the, earlier this season, they were versing a team, the Dockers, and uh, they were way ahead. But as is typical in the fourth quarter, Richmond were way ahead, as typical in the fourth quarter, Frio comes back and they're four points behind. And the buzzer sounds and Mundy takes the mark for the Dockers. Now, Mundy's there with the ball, and Mundy has to kick the goal, and Mundy's out on the field, and he has to get it perfect. And if he kicks that goal, then he'll win the game, won't he? But it's not only Mundy that takes the win. It's the whole team that wins. It's the whole team that relishes in the victory that Mundy brings. They will take Mundy's win, and it will be seen as their own. And so Christ, Christ kicks the goal for us. We don't kick it, but we still share in the win. But it's not just 
kicking a ball through two goalposts, what Christ did was he was crucified. And he died for this victory. And we, we haven't even done anything to be a part of this team, but we still share in the victory. We still share in what Christ has done. You and I have gone through, if we trust in Christ, a dramatic change. As dramatic as dying and coming back to life. Paul says, because of Christ, you and I are free from the power of sin. So what's the result of being free from sin? Well, Paul says we change. We change the way we think and we change the way we act in verses 11 to 14. We think of ourselves in Christ. We now know that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And that's what verse 11 says, in the same way, in the same way as Christ. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So are you struggling with the temptation to think that you can just keep on sinning? Then realize who you are. Consider yourself no longer under the beck and call of sin. You are free from that. Why go back to what Christ has saved you from? Sin has been dealt with in the past. It has no place in our future. So don't live in it now. So we think differently and we act differently. We know who we are, so we don't go back to sin. We live the way we are. A body dead to sin and resuscitated in Christ to live for God. You know, the world often says, be who you were born to be. But God says, be who you were reborn to be. And that's what verse 12 to 13 says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as though you have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Last year I read about one man that uh, fascinated me. You may have heard of his name, Hiro Onodo. Uh, he was a Japanese soldier during World War II. And he was trained in guerrilla warfare. And in 1944 he was sent to the Philippines after his training. And uh, in 1945 the war ended. And there were leaflets that were scattered across the jungle uh, because the Allies had invaded, so Hironoto had to retreat into the jungle. But Hironoto did not believe it one bit. He thought it was all an elaborate farce by the Allies to get him to surrender. So he continued to live in the jungle with little comfort. He saw his comrades die and surrender and be captured. He continued to destroy crops and to kill and injure Filipinos because he believed that the war was still going until one man came along. Uh, he, he had two goals in life, to find the abominable snowman and Hiro Onodo. And he found Hiro Onodo 
and he managed to convince Enoto's officer to come to the Philippines and tell him that Japan had lost the war. And when Hiro Enoto realized that it was true, he was furious. He had wasted nearly 30 years of his life that he continued after the war ended. 30 years that were wasted doing awful things that he hated. And he did these things as though he was still operating under the command of his superior who had now retired and was working in a bookstore. Don't be like a nodo. Sin is no longer our commanding officer. He hasn't just retired and working in a bookstore. He's dead to us. We no longer need to listen. It's awful what Onodo endured and what he did because he didn't really believe the thousands of leaflets and the many Japanese men that told him it was all over. Don't be like Onodo. Believe the Bible when it says you are dead to sin. Sin has no power over you anymore. Stop giving your life over to sin. You are in Christ. You are free. But Paul not only says you are free, he also says you are slaves in verse 15 to 23. You are God's free slaves. That's what Paul says in his second question. If you're following along when we read it, no longer, he says we're no longer under the law, but only under grace in verse 14. Uh, the law does not save. He says the law doesn't increase sin any longer. It is only grace. So the natural question, the logic of that is, so if we are no longer under law, if it doesn't save us, then why not just sin if we're not only under grace? Why not just disregard the law? That's what verse 15 says. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? But what's Paul's answer there in verse 15? By no means. Don't even think about it, he says. Because Paul says, you have changed dramatically. And to help us see that, he uses the analogy of slavery. Uh, Slavery to sin or slavery to God. Uh, There's no neutral option. There's no Switzerland. And that's what he says in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's no middle ground. There's no fence to sit on. Everyone sitting here tonight is either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience to God, which leads to a life that will be made righteous in the end. So how can we be a slave to God? If they're the two options, and if we don't want death, eternal death to be our final outcome, then how can we be a slave to God? Paul tells us, he says, there's only by God that we can change from one slavery to the other. That's what he says in verse 17, when he begins it with, but thanks be to God. God is the one who changes us from slavery to sin to slavery to God. He sets us free and makes us slaves to righteousness. That's verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that 
Though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. God has given you over, entrusted you to the teaching of the gospel that you obey from the heart, a heart that is changed only by the power of God, only thanks to God, only by His grace. So if you want to change from being a slave to sin, a slave to God, then we come to God and we ask Him to save us. We ask Him to help us see that only He can make us a slave to Him and we have faith in Christ. But what does Paul mean by slavery? It's a pretty uh, interesting term in today's world. Doesn't Paul know that it's been abolished and that it's an evil thing that we shouldn't have? What does Paul mean? What's he saying here? Well, if you look at verse 19, there's this interesting phrase. He says at the start, I I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. So so Paul's saying, don't take this the wrong way. There's something very specific I'm meaning here. Slavery, Paul is using here to be a picture of complete ownership, total belonging. A slave can only obey is only dedicated to one master and that's what Paul wants to get across a slave nothing belongs to him his life is not his own and and Paul's saying this is a dramatic change that brings relief from being a slave to a monster to being a slave to God. When, when we were a slave to sin, we did what sin wanted of us. Things that bring us shame. Looking at pornography on the screen and having to do it again and again. Be bound to it even when we didn't want to. Trapped even though it's destroying marriages and intimacy. Casual sex that only grows a sense of emptiness and a lack of real love. Anger that unfurls at people we love the most, that hurts people we don't want to hurt. Jealousy that makes us bitter and hate people that we could love. Worry that destroys our lives. Serving sin has made us do stuff that we wouldn't want anyone else to know about. It's not stuff we're always proud about. We don't like who we are. When we serve sin, we do ugly, shameful things. We're trapped with an inevitable doom approaching death. Sin is a tyrant. Sin is a monster that only takes and never gives, that demands much and only gives death in return. It's like a mafia boss. He offers protection and good things, but pretty soon you wind up doing things you don't really want to do. You are trapped and you cannot get out. The only wages you get from sin is death. But when we are a slave to God, 
we do things that he wants of us, right, holy, good, lovely things. We are free to turn off the screen with porn on it that's so damaging. We are free in our relationships to show real love that's other person-centered. We are free to show kindness that helps others know that you love them. Free to have joy, free to have peace because of what God has done. When we serve God, we do good things. God is the greatest master that a slave could any ever have. He gives much and he offers more. He is goodness and generosity itself. There is no downside to slavery to God. He gives us the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And surely the choice between the two is a no-brainer. It's like, would you like me to cut off your hand or feed you chocolate cake? That's what, that's what verse 23 summarizes for us. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I are free from the tyrant of sin and are now slaves to God. What a joy, what a privilege. We are God's free slaves. So how does all of this help us in our everyday life uh, when we have to continuously deal with sin? I think it applies to two types of people. Uh, Those who excuse sin away and those who struggle with sin. And I assume that's pretty much all of us. That we're both of those. So firstly, for those who excuse sin away, when, you know, when we have some big news that we really want to share, so we justify gossip in a prayer request, or when we spend more time complaining and grumbling about our life because it's hard instead of thanking God for what He has done, or when we come home tired after a hard day's work and just eat because we deserve it and we justify gluttony. We make it our comfort and our escape. We substitute God for entertainment and laziness and relaxing and other things because we deserve it. We watch movies or TV shows with explicit sex scenes because all my Christian friends watch it. It's a great production and I would be missing out if I didn't see it. I wouldn't be able to relate to my non-Christian friends without watching that show. Season 7 of Game of Thrones that is coming out soon, I need to see it because it's so entertaining. Because, you know, I don't, I don't mind watching it. It doesn't do anything bad to me. But we don't have to. We shouldn't justify it. Or we take that corner on our tax report because that's what everyone does. We, we misinform Centrelink because we need the money. It's all a disguise. All, all, all of our excuses are a farce. It's so easy to cover our own eyes. From the reality and, and nature of sin, we blind ourselves. But sin is never justifiable. Not because of grace, not because of anything. It has no place in our lives because there has been a supernatural change. We have become God's free slaves. There is never an excuse good enough to sin. 
Stop justifying sin. Instead, remember, we completely belong to God to do His will and to follow His desires, which are good and lovely and so much better. Secondly, for those who struggle with sin, you know, life keeps throwing their temptations again and again, and it's so easy to give in. How does Romans 6 help us in our constant struggle? I used to play a bit of basketball back in a little town called Terang. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I was okay at rebounds and the, the jump ball in the middle and I could shoot some threes. But my, the, my great letdown, the thing that I failed at all the time was dribbling the ball. I couldn't bounce it up the court. And I remember my coach telling me the secret to dribbling the ball. He said the secret is to look up from bouncing the ball. You know, look up and see your teammates or opponents behind you look up and see where you are on the court look up and see the ring the goal the net where you want that ball to go so I think when we find sin hard when temptation feels too much when it feels easier to give in and God will forgive anyway then take my coach's advice and look up look up from sitting at your desk with the computer about to click on something you shouldn't Look up when you're talking to your spouse or a friend or a family member and anger is on the verge. Look up from when you're driving in the car in heavy traffic and someone cuts you off. Look up when you're ready to give in and just sin. Look up and remember Romans 6. We look up and we see what's behind. We see where we have come from. We were once dead in sin, but now that's no longer the case. We are now alive in Christ, free in Christ. We now live for God. Remember that you and I don't need to sin. I like to remember, I like to say to myself when I'm tempted to sin, I don't need to do this. What a relief. And we look up. And we see where we are on the court of life. We are now a slave to righteousness, to God. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for sin. Nothing in life belongs to us. We live only and completely for God. And so our daily duty is to be killing sin. Till Christ comes back or we die, we fight sin. We purposefully remind ourselves each day that we are now God's free slaves. I have this awesome app, Prayer Mate. Uh, it's really fantastic for when I'm trying to think of what to pray. But one, one reminder that comes up often on Prayer Mate is just forgive me, a sinner. And it reminds me that sin is serious. And I need to not only be fighting it, but repenting of it all the time. And we look up and we see where we're going to be. The goal, the ring, the final destiny. We will have eternal life in Christ. A life free from even the temptation and ability to sin. Not in this life, but we will have it. And we live in anticipation of that day, becoming more like Christ now, preparing for that time when God will raise us in perfection. 
you and I, if we have trusted in Christ, have gone through a supernatural change, no longer dead in sin, but free in Christ, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to God. We are God's free slaves and we live in that freedom, remembering the truths we read in Romans chapter 6 and we live it out. So let's pray that God would help us to live it out. Dear God, we thank you that you have freed us and that we can now serve you with everything we are. Help us by your grace to not excuse away our sin and try to justify it. Help us by your spirit to look up and remember that we are your free slaves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.